world of barbecue and grilling. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Network Studios in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here. If you want to jump in on the show this evening via the phone, via the email, no problem. We'd love to have you add something. Here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Everything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. He is, I don't even know if arguably can fit into this sentence, but arguably the face of barbecue, whether you look at it from a competition aspect, whether you look at it from an entertainment aspect, whether you look at it from a restaurant slash business aspect, widely considered to be the breakout star of the barbecue community, especially over the last five, six, seven years. He is a multiple-time book author, has appeared on numerous television shows, morning shows, evening shows, talk shows. You name it. He's run the gamut, and he's going to sit down with us for potentially two segments. I am, of course, talking about the pitmaster of Jack's Old South competition team and brand Myron Mixon will rejoin the show. Very excited to catch up with Myron. And we have a number of different ways to go with him this evening, so looking forward to catching up with Myron. It's been a minute. I think the last time he won the Memphis in May, which was, uh, you know, getting on, has it been four years now? He was on talking about that. At that point, he had pulled even with Chris Lilly in number of overall grand championships. Uh, since then, Chris has eclipsed, of course, uh, wildly successful at Memphis in May. And I believe that was the last time that Byron was on. We had tried to have him on like a month, month and a half ago, but uh, I had a scheduling conflict on my part. And we had to push back, so we've rescheduled for this evening and two segments here in the first hour, so look forward to that and make sure you share that with everybody. And then we will push to the second hour where we have two top-line guests as well. If you follow him on social media, if you are a fan of his barbecue products, you know the words and terms pods and womp can only be the pitmaster of Meet Mitch Barbecue Team and the brand. Mitch Benjamin will be rejoining the show at 1014 Eastern and looking forward to catching up with Mitch. Here's a guy who, when he was on the show the first time and the last time, it was a fledgling company. Sauce was out. Womp Sauce was doing very well. I believe he had a pretty high-profile baseball Hall of Famer helping him Pimp the Sauce, that and George Brett. One of my favorite baseball memories of all time was George Brett blowing up when they played the Yankees in the infamous Pine Tar incident. I watched that happen live on WPIX television in upstate New York because, of course, the Yankees were my favorite team at that point. And that was one of the most incredible sports moments that have been burned into my mind. Now, subsequently, I have also happened to take in live and in person in Cleveland the drive, the fumble, the shot, the list goes on. All of the most hideous things to happen to Cleveland. 
aside from the last, what, 20 years of Cleveland Browns football seasons have been their own nightmare, but the ones that are most prolific, I took in in person, which led me to get a complex where if I actually went to anything important that was related to Cleveland sports, not only was I going to force them to lose, but it was going to be in dramatic fashion. So... I don't know exactly how that turned into whatever the hell I was talking about, but Mitch Benjamin from Meet Mitch will be joining us 14 past the second hour, and then we will close it out with a a former fellow podcaster. I believe he won awards at the NBBQA a couple years ago. I don't think they entered this past year. They were doing the Behind the Smoke podcast last time I had him on. Actually, I believe they had just stopped doing the Behind the Smoke or had cemented their 100th episode, and that was uh, what they were going to be stopping on, episode 100. He is the owner of Cali Comfort Barbecue. They are putting on a huge barbecue event on August 18th, I believe. We'll get some more information from him on that here in about an hour and 30 minutes. Sean Walchef will be joining me again from Cali Comfort Barbecue, and we'll be catching up with him and seeing what's new, not only the digital media side, but obviously we'll be talking about that bet on barbecue event that he has going on at the beautiful and luxurious Del Mar race course, which is one of my favorite race courses that I've never been to. Do you follow me socially? Please make sure you do it at BBQ Central Show, Instagram and Twitter, slash BBQ Central Show on the Facebook. And you can watch me there as well. You can also take in the live video feed on YouTube Live if you want to. Just hit my website and choose all you want. A nugget of wisdom that you might have missed, but I did not. If you recall last week, it was the 4th Tuesday. Remember, this week of July is the bonus week of the month. Typically, four weeks make a month, but every so often we get five weeks in a month, and this is one of them. The 4th Tuesday of the month of the second hour, we have the ever-popular Embedded Correspondence segment. And last week we did what was a burger roundtable of sorts. And the burger roundtable from last week getting rave reviews, as you can only imagine, the brain trust that assembled in order to give burger knowledge second to none. And as the roundtable styles show, typically they are the most popular, certainly no different from this one. A ton of great info that was shared. Some you might have never tried. Some you might have disagreed with. Whatever the case may be, all in all, a great segment and a half before we got into the legalese of Traeger versus Danson. And that being said, the one thing that stuck in my head while I was moderating this burger panel was the burger press comment that John Solberg, my Michigan correspondent, made. And after talking with him a bit more offline, I decided to pull the trigger and get one. That's right. It's a... Lem, L-E-M, which I believe is how the company is actually named, L-E-M, L-E-M Burger Press, shipped to me. It was less than 20 bucks. It's cast aluminum. Uh, they bill it as nonstick, but it's not that nonstick. I tried it right out, went to the local grocer, got a three-pound bucket of already ground 80-20 beef, set the thickness on the patty to one inch, which I believe is as thick as this burger maker will make it. And uh, went right to the Weber Genesis 2, medium heat, four minutes per side, topped with cheese, delicious. And the benefit here, at least in my opinion, is the ease of use. And more importantly, you know, when you talk 
to the pitmasters and the greatest competitors of all time, what are they looking for? Certainly an edge. I think the LEM press probably gives you an edge. But really what they're looking for and what makes them successful over and over is consistency. And that's what you get on each and every burger with the LEM press. They do not have any affiliation with the show. I'm just now a happy customer. Now three uses in. I do suggest using either parchment paper on either side of the burger to prevent sticking because it will stick on the, and it sticks on the top, of course. Never stick on the bottom, which would be the easier of the sticks. Or get some burger sheets. I ordered the LEM, they called them freezer sheets. It was like a thousand for very little money. So again, if you are, if I've piqued your interest, if you've always thought about getting a burger press, the LEM non-stick burger press, it's $24.99, sans the shipping. They actually have a model that's a dollar some higher, $26, $27, that uh, my pal Jason Kaplan got earlier today that's a uh, like a plunger or a uh, a press piston style. I probably should have got that, but I didn't see it. I don't know if it's going to make that much of a difference, but Jason's going to give me feedback when he gets it. I've made burgers three times already with it because it's fun, and the kids said they were great burgers. So if the girl, you know, and I have girls, so if they say it's a great burger, the taste has nothing to do with the press, but the product it is helping me put out. In the beginning of the process is a big component to the overall success of the end product, and having that consistent patty all the way through is great. So I bid my pal John Solberg a huge thanks. And of course, as we all know, anything that John suggests is relatively gold standard stuff. So again, if you are on the line or on the fence, I think it's lemproducts.com or something like that. Hit me up. I can give you the link if you're interested. Myron Mixon coming up out of the break. Let me talk to you quickly about what's coming in like a month and a half from now the Hartville Hardware Grill Fest here we go September 21st 2019 it's a Saturday it's all day I will be arriving on scene at 09 maybe a little bit earlier get a little prep in see my homegirl Diva Q chatted up with her for a little bit as we game plan the lives Also, hope at that point to meet whoever the Weber demonstrator is going to be. Do we know anybody that I can suggest that would be a great Weber demonstrator? I've only reached out to Kevin Coleman, and he's unavailable. But if you think there's somebody out there that is a good Weber Grills demonstrator, gas grill, hit me up on the email. I'll make that suggestion to them. They are open for Weber folk at the moment. And then the big green egg side of things is going to be covered by local Cleveland private chef, and chef to some athletic stars, Lisa Delgado. Never heard of her. Maybe I'll have her on before we actually get to September 21st. Hype it up a little. But again, the big draw, of course, aside from me emceeing the whole event, and we'll be going strong until maybe 4 or 5 o'clock. That would be late afternoon slash early evening. I believe there's some type of food competition I'll be judging in as well. I think it's ribs maybe this year. Diva Q will be there pimping the Traeger demo side. So if you've always wanted to see Diva do classes in action and you're going to be around the semi-general area of Hartville, Ohio, which if you're in Cleveland is roughly, I don't know, an hour south and then east, let me know. We'll hang. 
Hartville Hardware 2019's Grill Fest. And it's the world's largest hardware store. So if you like hardware stores, you're going to like it. All right, Myron Mixon coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products tested on the competition circuit as well as backyards worldwide like my backyard. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood. Visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up now. Always trust your butcher. My guest in the first hour tonight, Bill, as the winningest man in barbecue. He also has penned a number of successful books, one of which we'll talk about a bit tonight. He has taught many a folk how to cook better barbecue at his home during his barbecue classes. You've seen him on TV playing both expert guest, show host. He has the second most overall grand championships at Memphis in May, and the list goes on and on. Let's go ahead and race to the Fogo Charcoal Hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Myron Mixon. Myron, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How you doing? Absolutely fabulous, Myron. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening. I know you're very busy. First things right off the bat, did you do a commercial for Sirius XM Yacht Rock Radio? Yes, I sure did. Wow. It's my favorite station in Sirius XM. Like, do you listen to the station, Myron? Oh, yeah. Every video I got, we got Sirius on there. My favorite is either 25 or 26, classic. And uh, I did the classic rewind. I did the classic vinyl. Those are my favorites. Do you listen to any of the yacht rock at all, or are you kind of not into that? Yeah, I listen to some of it. I listen to some of it, but uh, you know, I always gravitate back to what I was raised with, what I grew up with, <laughs> listening to it. No doubt about it. Myron Mixon joining us here on the show. Uh, Myron, last Sunday, uh, I believe you ran into one of my cohorts, my Tennessee Embedded correspondent, Steve Ray, as you were doing a cooking class uh, down there, doing some kind of an appearance. And uh, he shot me some pictures, and I have to say, uh, I've seen you on TV a number of times, uh, a couple times in person, and this might be physically, uh, appearance-wise, this might be the most fit I've seen a Myron Mixon. Is that the case? That is the right. You're correct. Uh, wow. I was down in Chattanooga. Uh, Ace Hardware stores are carrying our products, my rub sauces. Uh, some of them are carrying our smokers. Uh, your buddy was there. We uh, we talked him into buying a smoker. Matter of fact, he bought a Myron Mix and H2O smoker, which I really appreciate. Uh, but getting to being fit uh, since August 8th last year, I've lost a little over 100 pounds. Really. And, uh, yep, uh, worked out a diet that uh, revolved around me being able to eat my barbecue and some grilled items and uh, adapted some of my sides and stuff to where it made it where I was very low-carb, which that's really on the way you're going to lose some weight. you got to get the carbs away from you. 
and uh, the sugars too. But uh, yeah, I'm in better shape now than I've been probably in ten or twelve years. Was there uh, any precipitating health event where you were encouraged, or you just decided that this was the time you wanted to make a lifestyle change? No, I mean my blood pressure is always perfect. I go to the, uh, my doctor twice a year. Uh, nothing with cholesterol or any of that. It's just a problem with having a two-ton body on a one-ton chassis, like a good friend of mine, Jamie Gear, always says. And uh, my knees and my joints really, really appreciated me when I dropped that weight. Yeah, I mean, you've probably noticed a huge difference, right, overall? Oh, yes. Man, I'm, I mean, the thing is, you got more energy, you got more stamina. And the thing is, I hadn't even been to the gym yet. Now, I'm on, uh, I do, I have always done cardio a little bit, you know, treadmilling. Um, and that kind of thing, but it just makes it where you got more stamina. You know, you got more, uh, what the old folks say, you got more breath. I mean, you don't give out. And uh, that makes a lot of difference when you're outside a lot and you're cooking a lot or doing anything a lot. You know, uh, losing that weight and getting it off of it is the best thing. I went from 339 pounds right now, I weigh like 239 pounds. Wow, are we going to see Myron Mixon in the CrossFit gym at some point? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think you see Myron Nixon in the CrossFit gym, but I got about another. I'm going to get on about 225, and uh, that'll be the weight I want to get to. I don't want to look like too skinny of a barbecue man. I don't want to look like Tuffy. I want uh, <laughs> Tuffy. He's a uh, he's, uh, – and I tell Tuffy all the time, I wish I could be that small because he can do anything. He's agile. He's in shape a lot better than I am, but uh, I don't believe I could get down below 200. Well, I mean, uh, it's not like you're five foot six, and uh, you know you're, you're you know two twenty five. I mean, you're six foot plus, so uh, that's going to be a good fighting weight, I'd say. I believe so. Uh, you know, like I say, it makes it easier getting out, especially in the Georgia sun when it's hundred degrees, and uh, you're sweating. At least you ain't got all that uh, extra spare tire around your waist there bringing you down. No doubt about it. We're talking with Myron Mixon from Jack's Old South. Some websites, jacksoldsouth.com, and, of course, myronmixonsmokers.com if you want to check it out here while we're chatting it up. All right, let me ask you uh, a topic that has been uh, in and out of this show quite frequently, especially this year, and I've had some uh, fairly large meat purveyors, uh, Pat LaFrieda being one of them, talking about this – I don't think it's a fad necessarily, but you see more and more infiltration of plant based meat items for instance beyond burger impossible burger or beyond meat impossible meat it seemed to be the two biggest ones by name uh, what do you know about these plant-based items are you a fan and do you think this is something that is eventually going to go away or do you think this is actually going to start to to take over as a legitimate option i really don't know a lot about it i mean um you know i know there's been a lot of uh, and i've eaten some of them trying them you know i'll try anything once but the thing is, a lot of this is coming about because people want to be healthier. You got uh, people are vegetarian, um, but they really have come a long way with it, making it where it actually tastes like meat. Me personally, uh, I want the real deal. I want the, you know, the Angus, the Wagyu beef. I want the, you know, free range birds. I want, you know, heritage breed pork. I don't want any imitation, but I mean, I love meat. I mean, I love, uh, I love the taste of meat. I love to cook it. But I understand people, you know, some people don't want it. And, you know, there's something for them, I guess, is, is, is doing this vegetable-based or, or plant-based uh, items. But to me, as, as well as they taste compared to what it, you used to see where they'd have all organic burgers and stuff like that is made out of whatever it's made out of, 
they're better than it used to be, but it's not as good in flavor as an Angus burger or a Wagyu burger. Nowhere close. Is it something that you would consider as an option in your restaurant? Uh, no. No. All right. Fair enough. No, no. I mean, I mean, not being. I'm not against anybody that wants to eat those, but you're not going to get it at a Myron Mix and Pitmaster restaurant. We do, we do barbecue. That's all we do. I mean, the closest thing you got something, uh, maybe it's non barbecue on the menu is we do our smoked uh, wings, which is on the smoker, and then we drop them in the fryer. We take them about halfway on the smoker, and then we drop them in the fryer. That's as close as you're going to get to something that's not totally smoked. Myron, let's talk about the restaurant business here for a moment. I mean, you're doing well with the restaurants you have now. You've been in some other type of entities here in the past that we've talked about. But just from a barbecue restaurant standpoint, and certainly there have been barbecue restaurants around forever and ever, but am I out of bounds to say that you know even over the last seven or eight years, barbecue has never been more popular than it is now? You see it in the backyard. You're seeing it now with more craft barbecue restaurants that are popping up across the country. Obviously, the Texas base has been hugely popular here over the last couple of years. But how are you viewing the restaurant side of the industry? The restaurant side, I, I said it 15 years ago, uh, and, and today's more than ever, it's the hottest genre of food out there. I mean, it's still... Uh, you have more barbecue restaurants opening up than just about any other type of food. And, and this it's happening with people that not necessarily have those pedigrees and not bragging, but I was raised in it. And you got a lot of people in the barbecue business that was raised in it. I mean, I've been around since I was nine years old. My dad's take out barbecue business, but you got people that wasn't raised in it, but just love it so much, they've got into it. And later in life, they were a trained chef in another genre of type food. But they love the barbecue. They love the grilling. They love the smoking aspect of it. And uh, they're getting in it. They're getting in it. And the thing you just mentioned is you got more and more people in the backyard. You know, I teach barbecue classes. And used to, majority of the people that came to class wanted to learn to compete. Yep. Now, you still have some that want to do the competition side of it, very few compared to the ones that want to get better in the backyard. And the truth be known, the best recipes or the best innovations in grilling and smoking are coming from the backyard smokers or the backyard cooks. There's the ones that's getting out there and pushing that envelope. Because in competition barbecue, end of the day, everybody's stuff that's competing wants it to taste the same. Everybody's trying to be or taste like the guy or gal that's up there winning, placing the top three every day. And they're getting to that point where it's like that. And uh, But I think your innovative flavors, uh, your innovative uh, recipes for different ways to do proteins and sides is coming from the backyard. That being said, that's pushing the restaurants being opened. That's pushing people to try restaurants and places that are not known for barbecue, which, in my opinion, is the best place to go. That's why we went to Alexandria and Old Town, basically D.C. Uh, you got people up there really like authentic barbecue. They have good jobs. Federal government ain't going to go, it's not going out of business. <laughs> and they eat out a lot, which D.C. is, uh, it's got to be a food town. It's got some great food in D.C. And um, we're glad to be there. We're looking for other venues to go to that meets that 
profile that's, you know, a place that barbecue is still unique. People still pay for great barbecue. And you got a lot of people there that would do that. You got to have warm bodies first off to be able to make a restaurant succeed. You know, I'm not knocking being in the South, born and raised. I love being a Southerner. But I've always said, you know, I wouldn't put a restaurant south of the Mason-Dixon line, you know, because every everybody down here has got a grill and got a smoker, and they got a certain price point in their head. It ain't regardless of what they make or how much money they're worth. They've been around it if they're true Southerners and they're born and raised around it that they're going to spend on eating barbecue. Mm-hmm. You know, now you got so many chain barbecue restaurants doing all you can eat ribs on Wednesday for fourteen dollars or whatever kind of stuff that is down here. <laughs> Uh, you know, you got to imagine how much, you know, the quality of rib you're getting for 14 bucks, all you can eat. But the point is you got to be someone that's unique, a lot of people, and you got to turn out a great product and you can, you can do well with a restaurant. That seems for barbecue, especially minor, it seems like the, the hardest part that would be something that you need to overcome is that weird holding period where you know obviously the meat coming off fresh off the pit is going to be the best but if you're not at a peak point in whatever the serving time is and you got to go into a hold you know that's really what makes or breaks the quality of the barbecue right uh, at my barbecue class i have a lot of people coming that's wanting to get into barbecue restaurants and matter of fact uh we're setting up at our compound here we're going to set up a kitchen that's kind of almost identical to our restaurant in D.C. where we're going to start teaching. Um, it'll probably be next summer before we get it in. We may get it in by the end of this fall, but I don't see it happening. We, uh, we've we been working hard at it the, to lay out how to do restaurant barbecue. You know, and, and I tell people all the time that comes to my class, I can teach you how to turn out great barbecue. I say that's not hard, and it's not hard. I tell people all the time barbecue is a simple food. Yep. Follow the recipes, and you'll turn it out every time. And it will be perfect that time when you take it off the smoker. The money shot, the money shot for a restaurant is when that barbecue comes off at 11 a.m. in the morning, getting ready for your lunch crowd at 12. Will your 9 o'clock meat that came off at 11 a.m. be just as good? Mm -hmm. Can you hold it? The key to it is holding it and how you prepare it to go out on the plate. That's your money shot. You know, anybody can learn to cook great barbecue, and it'd be perfect when it comes off the pit right then when it's done. But the hard thing is to be able to hold that meat and make it great three or four or five hours later. Meyer Mixon joining me here part. on the show. Uh, Jack's Old South's pit master, of course, jacksoldsouth.com, myronmixonsmokers.com, a couple websites here. Uh, Myron, let's transition a little bit here into, of course, the new book that was released uh, earlier this year, May 7th, I believe. This is your fourth book. Is this an instance in uh, called Barbecue, BBQ&A? Is it your idea now to write books or are publishers coming to you and saying, hey, we have a concept that we'd like to work with you specifically on? Is this something that we can put a deal together on? How does that work from a business standpoint? Well, I mean, I've had uh, publishers approach me about wanting me to write a certain type of book, but every book I've written uh, has been a book I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I've got a publisher who worked with Abrams, um, and this is the book I wanted to do because I get asked a lot of questions at cook schools. Uh, I get a lot of uh, questions asked, asked over social media and the emails, and a lot of them are the same question. 
not meaning that the question shouldn't be asked, and, and there's no dumb question of any sort, especially in barbecue. I learn something new every day, and I ask a lot of questions. Uh, but I kind of wanted to put it in a format of the most asked and the most requested questions mm-hmm. are um, the, the, the things that people want to know the most about a certain topic inside of grilling or smoking. And I put it in this book, and we laid it out very well with great pictures. We've got 90 recipes in the book. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the the cliff notes of of barbecue. And you can go to that book. uh, It's the way it's laid out. You can pull up a section or category, and it'll give you the answer. And uh, I'm proud of the book. It's been pretty cool. It's been very successful so far. From a writing standpoint, is it your favorite one that you've written? My favorite book, I mean, I love them all. Um, Are they like kids? Yeah, but my favorite book would probably be Barbecue Rules, my last book before this one, because it was about my dad and about the way he taught me how to cook, cooking on masonry pits, direct heat, shoveling coals, uh, that style of cooking. And the only reason my favorite is sentimental. You know, I lost my dad in 1996, uh, January. He was 56 years old. I started competing in June of that year in 1996, so he never saw me compete. But he taught me everything I knew at that time, up to that time, about barbecue. I mean, and the thing is, the way I learned from him was the hardest way you possibly could. You know, shoveling coals, knowing when meat was done simply by looking, smelling, and feeling the meat. He didn't own a meat thermometer. He didn't own a gauge on a pit. We had 10 laying over the masonry pits. He could tell by putting his hands on a 10, you know, doing a 10 count, whether it needed to be fired or not. And he could touch that meat and feel that meat, whether chicken, you know, pork, beef, whatever. And he knew I was done. And I learned, you know, so begrudgingly sometimes I learned because I'd rather be doing something else that most young kids or teenagers <laughs> or young adults want to do. But I learned. And when I started competing, using gauges and meat thermometers and cooking with water cookers that was like spitting off a train that was easy you know because jack mixon has shown me you know how to do it what i would say is the is the right way you don't see anybody cooking like that much anymore you know one thing is you have to burn up a whole forest of wood to, be able to get the coals <laughs> you need to do that kind of cooking uh it's not a small footprint type of cooking and the next thing is uh it is truly fire management. I mean, you're doing true fire management and doing true pitmaster stuff, uh, quotations, because you can't just set the dial and uh, you can't just go in and damper down if you overload it. If you overload the pits, you're going to burn down not only the pit, but probably the building it's in. You know, you really got to be on your, you really got to be a pitmaster. And that's the way I learned. Uh, I'm not saying nobody else can do it as others can do it too that were taught, but that's, it just made it easier for me when I got to cooking with our H2Os, our water cookers and had the gauges and you had the thermal pins. And, you know, I was like, I said, damn, I said, uh, I wish my dad could have used some of this stuff, which he wouldn't have. He'd, uh, he'd, uh, I, I probably think Jack Mixon would probably put his foot in my ass now if he saw <laughs> the way I cook and all the stuff I'm doing now. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, given all the advancements and things that are everybody using, I mean, he probably wouldn't be that big of a fan if he was teaching you the way he was teaching you. No, he wouldn't be. He'd be, uh, my dad was a big believer in if he wasn't hard work and, and didn't buy key to do it, then you wasn't working. You know, it, it, he didn't want anything easy. But uh, that's just the way he was built. 
Do you have any inkling on what he would say to you? You know, if he was able to to run into you on the street and say, "Hey, you know, I've been watching you uh, when you started in '96, and we've seen you become the quote unquote winningest man in barbecue." How do you think that would strike him? Would he would he really kind of revel in that in your success or or not so much? I think my dad would be proud of me. Uh, just our relationship, and I love my dad. He loved me, but he wasn't one of these touchy feely, hug you uh, type dads. He uh, he would tell everybody else how proud he was of me, but to me, he'd be telling me to get my head out my ass and get back to work. Real job. When you are having kids yourself, uh, do you find yourself being more of a touchy-feely dad or are you more of a Jack Mixon type? More so than my dad was, uh, but I'm still got – I catch myself a lot of times being a lot like my dad, and, and I've realized you can't get away from it. If you've been around that all your life, <clears throat> it's hard to change. But I try to make it a point to uh, to be closer to my kids and be more uh, accessible to my kids. You know, I don't want to be as intimidating to them as I was intimidated by my dad sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these guys blaming all my, you know, problems on my my dad didn't love me and all that crap. You know, I, I, I don't – and I'm not saying that crap in a bad way. I'm sure people had some problems with their parents maybe, but I wouldn't want to. Sure. You know, I looked at it like this. My daddy didn't put nothing on us. You know, that uh, me and my brother couldn't tote either, you know, whatever he gives you or whatever you get in life, he's either going to kill you or make you stronger, you know, one way or the other. Do you find that, you know, having that kind of a relationship, so when you get into the competition scene and then he's not there, do you find that you do have a, a drive if you step back and take a look at it that, you know, you are competing for him to, to show your dad that, hey, I can do this and I'm the best at the craft? Is that a driving factor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I was doing 40 contests a year, and, you know, I did that for like 15 years in a row, uh, there was a big part of that where, you know, I was doing it to show him, you know, even though he wasn't around. And I wanted to prove that I was the best at what I was doing um, because he was always the best at whatever he did. I mean, he could do a lot of stuff. He's a jack-of-all-trades, not only in Jack being his name, but he was a jack of all <laughs> trades, and, and everybody that lives down to where we're at, they knew that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you do it. I mean, anybody says they don't want the parents to be proud of them, you know, they're not being truthful about that. So that was a big driving force for me. You know, you want to be the best that you can be in anything, but, you know, back in my mind, I was trying to impress my dad. Myron Mixon joining me here on the show. Myron, can I hold you over for uh, one more segment? We can talk about the water smokers and maybe a little Memphis in May. Sure. All right. Hang on. We're talking with Myron Mixon, Jack's Old South. Jacksoldsouth.com and MyronMixonSmokers.com. We're going to talk about the smokers here in just a second. I'll talk to you quickly about the longest-running sponsor of the show, the Barbecue Guru. You know, they've always believed that outdoor cooking should be easy and fun because it can be, especially with the line of Barbecue Guru products. Probably another thing that Jack Mixon would probably be uh, outraged by, these automatic temperature controllers. Uh, they also have their new ceramic cooker that's been out for a little bit called the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. What's unique about this particular ceramic cooker is that it has a temperature 
or I'm sorry, a built-in power draft fan already built into the cooker. So if you already have a Barbecue Guru controller, you don't need a new controller. You can run your controller right to the bottom of the fan. And away you go. If you're not familiar with automatic temperature control technology, you can visit the website, bbqguru.com. They go on ceramic cookers. They go on bullet-style cookers, kettle-style grills. They can even go on some certain sizes of uh, stick burners as well. Not the huge ones, probably, but medium-sized ones. If you have any questions, you call them, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. And you can be the pit master while the monolith and the barbecue guru controller does the work of a sous chef. Tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. It's consistency, bbqguru.com or 800-288-GURU. We are back with more Byron Mixon right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And this portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase can also buy from Amazon.com as well. But as Chris Becker said last week, uh, look at the dealers first. Get the best price. That's cookingpellets.com. Myron Mixon joining us here on the Barbecue Central Show. Myron, appreciate you hanging with me through the break there. And let's talk a little bit about the cookers, the Myron Mixon cookers. Uh, of course, I think it's a, a well-known thing. If anybody knows anything about you and your particular wiles of cooking, you love the water-style cookers. And I actually had a question from somebody on Facebook that said that they were incredibly surprised that the H2O cookers can set up bark tremendously quick. They didn't think that that was actually going to be a feature that that cooker provided. So if you could talk a little bit about the cookers and what you think makes them unique and why somebody might want to consider one if they're in the market. Well, uh, my remix of smokers, we've been building our own line of smokers here going close to seven years yep. now. Yep. And we build them all right here in the USA in our plant, Connecticut and Waterford. Um, I go up there about once a month now. Um, and our first one off the line, I've been cooking with water cookers since 1996. And first thing I found out about the water cookers was, you know, I, I had the same reservations when I started competing with them. Will it do the bark? Yes, it will do the bark. I mean, you got the water pan that's actually beneath the meat. It's boiling, it's steaming, it's keeping water uh, moisture inside that cook chamber. But you also got the vents on either side of the water pan. It's allowing the heat, it's allowing the smoke that's coming in from the firebox to surround that meat, and it's putting the bark to it. And the thing that's cool about the bark there, it is a pliable bark, but it's a bark. It's not that crusty. You know, sometimes you get it on a, a dry heat smoker or an offset where it's something you got to discard because you can't actually chew it. You done got it a little too overcooked on the outside or a particular area. And another thing the water cookers do for you, they cook evenly. If you move that fire tray into the center of that pan, that water pan disperses heat. It disperses the heat. It makes it cook evenly in all four corners of the smoker. You have no cold spots. You have no hot spots. Even more consistent barbecuing going on with the moisture inside the cook chamber and with the vents providing the smoke. It's pretty cool, top to bottom. And it's been doing it a long time. But the thing about the water cookers are, 
it comes back into fire management. They're stick burners. You can't run these smokers with charcoal. You got to have the stick burner. You got to be using sticks of wood, and you got to regulate because they're heavily insulated, top to bottom. I can take my 72 inch smoker, which uh, we do in competitions now, KCBS. It's also our hot cooker, your standard hot cooker. Uh, I can take three sticks of wood, and I've got it up to 300 degrees and maintain it. You know, uh, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty tight. And, uh, but I also know everybody's not in to wanting to do, get into that, you know, fire management. We talked about that a while ago with this, with the shoveling the coals and doing old school like my dad. That's why we came out with our own line of our gravity feeds, uh, charcoal cookers, which we, uh, recommend also with the gurus, just like everybody else's gravity feeds. Also, we come out with our own line now this year of our pellet cookers. And, uh, you know, that's even more set it and forget it for those that don't want to get involved with not even lighting charcoal off they got the bags of pellets load the hopper you know it's easy as you can do as far as barbecuing but me personally i love the water cookers i always have they're more forgiving and they allow you to cook faster and keep without compromising the quality of the finished product that moisture that steam inside that cook chamber allows you to do four and five hour 18 pound briskets and having them done and ready to go. You know, that's what we use in our restaurant in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. We use a 72XC, uh, no gas assist, all stick burn. From a, a moisture, so uh, the, I apologize for the lag there, but I was trying to think of the best way to ask this. You know, there's uh, water cookers out there. For instance, the very first cooker that I ever got that got me into this whole thing was a Weber Smoky Mountain. There's a water pan that sits over the charcoal bowl. I think it's important. So there's a, I think there's a common misconception when you're using a Weber Smoky Mountain, and if you're putting water in the bowl, a lot of people will sub out water and they'll put sand, put foil over it, and they're just using it as a heat sink. But a lot of people think that if there's water in the bowl, it's adding all of this uh, humidity to the cooking chamber, which uh, is more or less a fallacy. But because the water isn't ro- at a rolling boil, but in your H2O cookers. Uh, it's exactly the opposite. I mean, you are at a, at a rolling boil because you're right over the, the fire, correct? Correct, correct. And I tell people this also. You know, a lot of people's got offsets, and they, you know, ask me at cook school and some of the questions in BBQ&A. You know, if I slide a water pan in there, you know, is it going to give me the benefit like with your H2O? And the answer is no. I mean, I'm not sitting there trying to sell smokers, but if you don't bring the water to a boil and get that steam going into the cook chamber – then just having a pan of water in there is not going to do the job for you. you got to have it rolling, you know, to be able to get the benefits from having steam and moisture inside that cook chamber. It's got to happen that way, you know. Um, and, and to do that, you got to have a flame hitting the bottom of that pan. It's the only way you're going to get it done. That's why charcoal won't do it. You know, you got to have a flame kissing the bottom of the water pan, being able to boil and steam that water. Let's talk about the pellet cooker just for a second, Byron. Do you think just from a segment of the market, is this going to be the fastest growing portion, at least for the foreseeable future, not only for you, but for all the other pellet cookers, you think? Oh, for sure. For sure. Because I have got a lot of people that's coming to class. You know what I tell you? You got more and more people in the backyard compared to people wanting to do competitions. You know, competition world don't take long to cover that. What do you got? 15,000 cook teams in the country. Any given time, 
Uh, it don't take a lot to cover all those folks. The biggest majority is the tens of millions of people in the backyard want to get better at that. And the thing is, you got a lot of them that don't want to concentrate and take up a lot of their time learning fire management. You got some that want to, but you got a lot of them that don't want to. They want to concentrate more on the recipes, on the technique, on you know uh, the different things I can do with this protein. Uh, you know, the sausage stuff, bacon wrap, tenderloin. <laughs> We call it the triple P or doing something similar to that, bacon wrap doves or whatever. I want to focus on my recipes and my method of preparing the meat, making my rubs and sauces. I don't want to worry about cutting my wood in different pieces and lengths to make sure I put the right size on and to maintain my temp at whatever temperature it is I want to run. I want to be hit that dial or go over at the most on my gravity feed and set my guru to the temp I want, and that's all I want to do. Then I can focus on cooking my meat till it's done. I ain't got to worry about managing a fire. Are they missing and, out on something there, though, Myron? I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm an old school guy either, but I, I think that there's a, a romance to learning that whole thing in the beginning. And then if you want to move on from there, I mean, I have a, a lang stick burner. I had a close stick burner. I mean, I know how to start and maintain and keep a fire. But I also have three different pellet cookers and you know a, a number of other accoutrements. But to me, I think there is. Uh, almost an inherent responsibility of of somebody to learn fire management for it almost seems to go hand in it is hand in hand with barbecue uh, and, I, and I would agree with you i mean i I was born and raised in it and and I feel like me personally that's something that everybody ought to at least entertain and try it a couple of times if they don't even buy a a stick burner, but they ought to go and find their neighbor or somebody let them use one yeah. But you've got you've got a generation of, of people coming into it. They love the barbecue lifestyle. They love being out in you know the the wide open or on their deck or around the pool. And they love the cooking part of it, and they love the prepping and working on the recipes. And then they run the blender, making up whatever new glaze or <laughs> sauce. But they're not just they're not as excited about you know I want to go out here and split wood, buy wood, that type of thing. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I'm, I ain't going to say I understand it, but I mean, you know, to each his own. I mean, you got that group of people that want to, they want to, that's the way they want to do their barbecue. Sure. They don't want to have to learn how to, to cook with stick wood or cook on an H2O. They don't want to have to shovel coals. They want to pour a bag of pellets in a hopper or fill up a hopper with charcoal and set the guru or turn the knob on the pellets and start cooking. Uh, are, are these pellet cookers also made up at, like, is everything made in Connecticut then? Every bit of it. All yeah. is made in the U.S. of A. Every bit of it. Right there in our plant. The pellet cookers are made right beside going down our line up there in our plant, uh, right next door to the H2Os and right next door to our gravity feeds. Uh, Myron Mixon Smokers is the website if you want to check it out, uh, .com, uh, South.com. We're talking with Myron Mixon. Myron, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about one of your favorite events. Uh, I guess I'm saying that on my own. I would assume it's one of your favorite events. The Memphis in May competition was obviously a handful of months ago. And uh, you are second most in overall grand championships there. Uh, Chris Lilly is currently, I think, one ahead of you. He might have five, and I think you have four overall. Right. Uh, right. What's your thought on Memphis in May at this point? Is that something where you're still – you still want to compete at the highest level in order to meet and then ultimately get past Chris or 
what does Memphis and May mean to you now versus a, a younger Byron Mixon? Uh, well, a younger Byron Mixon in the day was cooking 40 to 45 <laughs> contests a year, and, and I'd rather compete than, than breathe. Um, and I still love going to Memphis and May. To me, it's the ultimate in uh, barbecue, especially because it's the only championship or really the only place you can go and cook a whole hog now in any type of barbecue contest mm-hmm. other than doing the Memphis Barbecue Network. But, um, you know, it's the only world championship out there where you can select hog to be your category. And I love cooking whole hogs. So, yeah, I mean, I want to I win as many of them as I possibly can. And I get psyched up for it. But, uh, you know, I used to do 40, 45. Now I get to do three or four, maybe five contests a year. And uh, so it's, I tell people this all the time. You're not going to be as sharp uh, doing three or four contests a year as you used to be when you was doing 40, 45 of them. It just don't happen that way. You know, part of the thing that makes Memphis and May unique is uh, that on-site judging. Certainly there's the the blind portion, which you have to make sure that you're hitting your marks in order to continue to move on, but you do have that on-site judge portion. And I love to ask, you know, the the guys that are winning. And, you know, it's uh, typically a pretty high-line pit master that's winning. It's a Tuffy Stone. It's Chris Lilly. It's you. It's Melissa Cookston. It's everybody that you've seen on television, it it seems, has uh, won that here over the last uh, decade or so. When they show up in a Myron Mixon site, uh, and and you have to be more than p- perhaps anybody, the most recognizable of everybody there, do you feel that you are at an advantage because not only do you have the breadth of experience behind you and all the GCs, but you do have television experience. You know what it's like to operate under pressure, and television is certainly a different pressure than normal competition. Or do you feel that you have to work even harder because they might be holding or grinding a little bit of an axe going, well, here's this asshole who's been on television and he thinks he's just going to be able to charm us and he's going to have to do something over the top in order to get my vote? Uh, but more the second that you just mentioned. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you got some great judges, and I'm not saying those judges, the ones that uh, you know think an asshole, he's going to have to really impress me. Yeah. I've had judges in the last five years at the world championship, uh, they came back at one judge and I remember it. Um, but you know, the, you can't, anybody could have got that judge came back and told me you were my best I had today, but I expected more from you. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, uh, a younger Myron Mixon might have handled that a lot different than an older Myron Mixon. Uh, and I get that a little bit. I mean, uh, not necessarily that as much as um, expect more out of me or, you know, uh, they see you on TV, they think I'm Mr. Big Shot and I'm going to bring you down to size. And that's one of your problems you run into sometimes mm-hmm. with your own side judging because, you know, you would like to think your food is what's getting judged, but they're standing in front of you. You know, they're standing in front of you, and, and that's subjective. It's not a finish line. I mean, you don't have a finish line. You step across, and they got a photo finish, and they took a picture, and they saw your foot go across that line. This is all opinion. It's about whether they're supposed to like your food or not like your food. But sometimes other things play into it, and that's just human nature. But everybody's got the same advantage or disadvantage. I mean, this got. I'm sure there's judges that don't like Chris or don't like Tuffy, and everybody's up against that. 
you know, but the thing about it is I had a good friend of mine, Pat Burke, told me a long time ago, uh, bitching and complaining about contests. He looked at me, and this was my younger days. He said, well, you got two options, Myron. He said, you can either go cook it or you can stay home. Hmm. I chose to go cook it. So that's the way that works. Myron Mixon joining me here on the show. Uh, a couple last questions here before I tune you loose here tonight, Myron. I appreciate the time. Uh, if we could talk a little bit about where the state of barbecue on television is concerned, there's going to be a new barbecue show coming out August 1st on the Food Network. Uh, but I believe you're kind of uh, in a couple different uh, barbecue television type things yourself. So what do you have going on? And then we can cover more of a, a general question after that. We've been approached to do some uh, a couple of pilots of uh, talking to Netflix about doing some stuff, and I got approached. Or you get phone calls all the time, uh, and I'm sure everybody else does. It's been on TV with barbecue shows. They're, they're very vague about the shows. They want to know would you consider or whatever. And uh, you know, a lot of folks would probably say, "Yeah, I'll do whatever it is," and and I'm past that. Uh, <laughs> And the reason I'm saying that, not thinking I'm too good for stuff, I want to be, love being on TV. It helps sell my products. Um, I like a good show that's got good content. But I'm, you know, I don't want to do stuff that's silly. You know, I don't want to do something for the sake of just being on TV and it'd be a one and done deal. You know, to me, the ultimate in barbecue shows, and, and, and not just because I was on it, the only one that ever stuck was the format in, in Barbecue Pitmasters. That's the yep. one that stuck. Yep. You know, uh, I love season one. I love competing and doing all that kind of stuff. But the format that really took off and really made that last and, and it had longevity from 2007 to 16 was the three judges and the contestants in front of those judges, kind of like a chop or whatever. Mm-hmm. That stuck. That format stuck. And I think, uh, I don't know what this new show is that's coming out this week. I believe it is or next week. What that format is, but I believe it's going to be on the lines of that. Uh, I've seen a lot of the networks trying different things uh, with barbecue. And, and they. I, I always kept saying, why in the world don't somebody just rip off Pitmasters and do that again <laughs> and call it something else? You know, because it worked. You know, it, it worked, and people love that show. People love the reruns of Pitmasters, yeah. and uh, it was just a great concept. So do you think that we will ever see another phenomenon that is like Barbecue Pitmasters again in our lifetime, or ha- has that ship sailed potentially? That I don't know. I would like to think it hadn't sailed. Uh, I mean, i like to be part of another great barbecue show. But the thing about it is, you got to have uh, you got to have the networks, not necessarily the networks. Mm. You got to have these people at the networks. Most of them are are in their twenties and thirties to get behind a good show like that. You know, I tell people all the time uh, they try to structure all these shows towards millennials, and uh, my kids are millennials. They ain't got no damn money. You need to be structuring your shows towards folks like mine and your age, Greg, has got some money to spend on things and buy things. You know, that's where your advertising dollars need to be going to. You know, how many 20-year-olds you see getting into the damn competition barbecue Zero. World? That takes a lot of money to do that. Yes. You know, 
you know, how many 20-year-olds, you know, can afford to buy Yeti coolers or gurus or thermopens and all this kind of – they can't. Right. So you need to be going after those 35-year-old and plus because that generation, mine and your generation, we've got the disposable income to buy these things. We've got the disposable income to go out and, and get into the barbecue world. we got the money to go out on our back deck and buy a $6,000 Myra mixing smoker. Millennials ain't got that. Nope. So I don't understand a lot of times, you know, maybe I, <laughs> I ain't the sharpest pencil in the box, but uh, I know about making money, and I know my market. I know my demographics. I know the people that that uh, they like what I do, and they like the things that I do. And, uh, you know, you got to go after the ones that, that really enjoy barbecue. Most millennials don't, you know, they're too busy doing whatever that millennials doing now. The people that love to barbecue and love it and love to go eat barbecue out a lot are our age group. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, people need to sit back. That's making those decisions on the shows and on the networks. They need to sit back and think about, think about that aspect of it. Myron Mixon breaking it I'll all down. I'll just ask you this question. Yep. Let me ask you a question right now, Greg. Do you yep. think you got a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds listening to your show? Uh, I know for a fact that I don't. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, what's your demographic? The demographic me and you just talked about. Yeah, it's, we have the same demographic. Exactly. I mean, because the people we're listening to are enthused by it, and if they want to pull the trigger on a smoker or some exotic woods or whatever, or buy some rubs, they can do that. Yep. You know, they can do that. So, Myron Mixon breaking it all down here. He is the pit master <laughs> of Jack's Old South, uh, jacksoldsouth.com, myronmixonsmokers.com. Uh, Myron, I appreciate all of the time you've given me this evening. I mean, it is always such a great pleasure uh, for me and I know for my listening audience when you spend some time with us, and I certainly appreciate the candor this evening especially. Continue success, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Well, thank you, Greg. I want to tell everybody listening, if they would, uh, I run my own social media. They'll follow me on Instagram, Myron Mixon, and at Twitter, Lord of Q. Uh, they got any questions or anything, be glad to answer them. All right. Appreciate it, Myron. All right, brother. Bye. There he is, Myron Mixon. <laughs> he was off that phone, too, by the way. <laughs> no joking around. I'm out. That's Myron Mixon if you need him. Again, uh, the website, jacksoldsouth.com, myronmixonsmokers.com. And he hit it right on the head. I think, well, now that I think about it, um, I think Angel listens to the show. The uh, steak cooking champ over in Hartville. She's 17. So I have one in that demographic. But... I know my kids don't hardly ever listen to me. That's all right. All right. That was Myron Mixon. We are getting ready to point to the second hour. He appeared via the Fogo Charcoal hotline, fogocharcoal.com. So uh, refresh your libations, and we will build into the second hour. You are listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back.